Good morning, everyone. Welcome to 20-something, 40-something. This is Natasha here. Um, so this is the 17th episode of 20-something, 40-something. And again, I want to thank everyone that has listened so far and supported me and Maria on this podcast journey. Um, so today, I'm going to be talking about damaged relationships with parents. And I know this is something I have brought up. You, you'll notice that a lot of my podcasts um, kind of run into each other. Um, but um, this is something a little bit more concentrated on my actual parent that I have an issue with. An issue with. Um, but I'm actually titling this The Red Shoes. So I've already spoken, though briefly touching on the subject about having a damaged relationship with my mother. For those of you who listen to my podcast, I will put a disclaimer. If you know my mom on a personal level and feel that you're getting offended in any way, you are more than welcome to jump the fuck off my podcast. Um, This is not about bashing my mom. That's not what this is about here. Um, But these are merely true accounts to use as an example on mental health, generational abuse, and how growing up as a child, then into an adult during this type of upbringing can affect your life for a lifetime, if you allow it. So a brief history on my mom. Um, She grew up in Newark, New Jersey. And if any of you know anything about Newark, also known as the bricks, you should have a pretty good idea of the type of environment she grew up in. And please, even in the 60s and 70s, it was just as bad, if not worse, um, as it is today, compounded with the fact that back then racism was very predominant and like it was blatant in your face. And on top of that, my mom's family was very poor. They were Puerto Rican. And on top of that, my mom's dad was severely abusive. And from the stories I've heard her tell me, it sounds like he was very possibly an undiagnosed schizophrenic. My mother's mom wasn't wrapped too tight either. Now, for those that don't know what that means, layman's terms, mentally slow. So I remember as an adolescent, you know, when we would go, um, you know, to visit our grandmother in New Jersey, um, her walls were covered in pictures of Jesus and La Virgen. And, you know, there was rosaries and crosses. And, you know, some of it was kind of like scary. I remember, I mean, for a kid, you know, I remember there was, you know, a cross with Jesus and he had thorns around his head. He was bleeding from his head, bleeding from his hands and his legs or his feet. You know, and he's like looking up into God knows where with this look of anguish and agony on his face. And, you know, it always amazed me that she had more of these things on her walls than she did of family pictures. But anyway, that just gives you an idea about my grandma. So um, what was I going to say here? But... Going back to my mom's upbringing, or lack thereof, um, is actually a very sad story. By the age of five, her parents were go out on they would go out on dinner dates. Um, they leave my mom to watch her newborn sister. 
in the dark. According to my mom, the light switches were too high up for her to reach. So she would just sit there in the dark, cradling her newborn sister, waiting for her mom and dad to return from their dinner date or their movie date. The only person of love that my mother had was her maternal grandma. How my mom talks about her grandma is endearing, but also heartbreaking. My mom would say that her grandma was the only one in her life that seemed to care about my mom. She would be loving and give attention to my mom, but even her grandmother couldn't save her from the hell that my mom lived in. There was this one story my mom would share with me, and even to this day when she would share it, she would still tear up after all these years. And I like to title this story, The Red Shoes. So it was another night that my grandparents were going out for a night on the town, leaving my young mother home again, having to care for her little sister in the dark. Before my grandparents walked out the door, my grandfather told my mom, you don't answer this fucking door for nothing. Even if it's Jesus Christ, don't fucking answer it. And then they head out. Well, soon after my young mother hears a knock, knock on the door. She stays quiet and then another knock, knock. And she remains silent. Then she hears a voice saying, Cookie, that was my mom's nickname as a child. It's Cookie, but you know, with the accent it's Cookie. Anyways, um, so that was her grandmother. She says, Cookie, are you there? And it definitely was the voice of her grandmother. So nervously, my mom would walk up to the door and she answered back, whispering hurriedly, Abuela, I am here, pero papi told me not to open the door to anyone or I will get beat, not even for Jesus. My mom remembers hearing the sadness in her grandmother's voice. Okay, Cookie, will I buy you some pretty red shoes from the store? I will leave them here for you. Then her grandmother set the red shoes down on the floor in front of the front door and slowly walked down the hallway. And she recalls the, you know, the heels, you know, of my grandmother just slowly click clacking down the hallway. My mom recounts the pain in her little heart at that time, feeling and the feeling of helplessness. She couldn't even open the fucking door for her own grandmother out of fear of her father's wrath. Well, later that night, when my grandparents returned, my grandfather saw the red shoes at the door. And guess what? He beat the living shit out of my mother anyways. My mother endured this type of abuse for many, many years. She would attempt to tell her mom what was going on, you know, especially when her dad started raping her. But my grandmother never did anything. Even though my grandmother herself was abused by my grandfather, she never fought for my mother or for my mother's sister and their safety. So the end of all this abuse, um, it actually came to a abrupt end when my mom was about 12 years old. Her father was preparing to rape her again, but my mom had devised this plan. Um, she actually told her mom the night before Mom, I'm going to call you from the candy shop around this time. And when I call you, make sure you come and pick me and my sister up. I'm assuming that my grandmother half-ass agreed to this plan. 
So the next day, as my grandfather was preparing to, you know, have sexual relations with my mom, she was actually able to coerce him. Um, she told him, I'm going to drop a, a bath for you, Bobby, so you can relax. And, um, and then she told him that she'll, she's going to get herself ready for him. So once the bath was drawn and uh, my grandfather, he did agree to get inside the tub. So my grandma, I mean, my mother, she had closed the door and um, she said that she put her ear against the door and she waited on the other side of that door, waiting to hear closely to, you know, for when his body hit the water. As soon as she heard that, <clears throat> she filled up her puppy's bowl because they recently got a puppy. So she filled up with food her puppy's bowl, unsure if she would ever see her puppy again. She grabbed two small bags that were already packed from the night before for her sister and for her. She grabbed her sister's hand and ran as fast as she could out the apartment, down the fucking hall, down the stairs, down the block to the candy shop. My grandmother hadn't shown up yet. So my mom begged the store owner if she could use the phone for an emergency. And she called my grandmother's job. And one of the coworkers that answered said that my grandma had went to lunch. So my mom talked to her mom's coworker and explained the situation, you know, quickly to her. And thank God the job was right in the neighborhood. These two coworkers of my grandmother showed up in a matter of minutes and ushered both my mom and her sister into the back seats. The one lady told the girls, duck down, I see your father coming down the street. So my mom pushed her sister down and then my mom lifted her head up to get a glimpse. And sure enough, her father was walking fast towards the candy shop. She said he looked furious. And then my mom ducked her head down just as the car squealed off into safety. My mother never, ever saw her father again. No one had ever seen him again. He basically vanished. My mom believes that he traveled to Puerto Rico to hide out. But whenever they would ask his family where her father was, they would just act stupid. They wouldn't admit to anything. They act like they didn't know anything. So from the beginning of my mom's life, it was torture, abuse, physical, mental, never feeling valued, never feeling loved, never feeling heard. My mom eventually relocated to California with her mother and sister, and they left behind New Jersey and the hurt that seemed to come with it. My mom finished out high school in Los Angeles, working and giving her paycheck to her mother in order to help out with bills. Despite that my grandmother already had a fucking boyfriend that could have helped with the bills, but my mom was expected to. So in 1979, my mom met my father. My father was 13 years older than her. And my mom, she recounts that she wasn't even attracted to my father. He wasn't a bad looking guy at all, but he was in his mid thirties and already had children from previous marriages. So, um, but there is something about my father that freed my mom. He made her laugh. He gave great advice. He made her feel heard, important and beautiful. And he taught her a lot about life. 
you know, about being independent and sticking up for herself. He brought a joy to my mom's world and breathed life into her soul. And then she became pregnant with me. So eight months into her pregnancy, this is when my mom discovered that my father was a drug addict. She actually discovered it by finding him mid-heroin injection with a needle in his arm. So this was a new situation for my mom, and she was naive to this part of life and all it entailed. My father gave my mom a new like, form of freedom in her life that she didn't have before. <clears throat> she wasn't about to walk away. I mean, for what? To go back to what? Her mother? Nah. So she pushed forward with my father, thinking it's going to get better. But we all know it didn't. It became worse. Many empty promises, struggles with finances, food, safety, absent husband for weeks, a roller coaster of ups and downs. My mom loved my dad, and she stuck it out from California to the Bronx, where Lydia, my sister, was born, back to Cali, then to Florida. Sporadic good times, a lot of broken promises, more financial struggling. Every move that we made with our daddy came with, things will get better, we will start new. And they were better for a bit until they weren't. In Florida, by the time I reached uh, seven, my mom had had enough and finally she left my father. Then from there, besides my mom working three jobs to support my sister and I, as gorgeous as my mother was, it was easy for her to find one relationship after another. None of them good, but each one representing an opportunity for my mother to not have to struggle so badly financially. It got to the point that my mother became obsessed with finding her saving grace in a man. And sadly, but realistically, Lydia and I were just along for the ride. There were many domestic physical fights that I saw my mom in. Her mood was always up and down. And unfortunately, she took her anger and aggravation of the hand in life that she was dealt on me. So I had to grow up fast. My mom, she would confide many things in me like as if I was her friend, but then she would turn around and beat me for the most trivial shit. I'm not talking about papaos, which is what we call spankings. I'm talking about punching, slapping, grabbing me by my hair, throwing my body around, cussing me out horribly, demeaning to my young soul. Then these physical fights that she would get into with these men, she would actually scream out for me. I was like fucking eight or nine years old. And she would call my name screaming, Natasha, help me, save me. Mom was always mad at me. She was always blaming me for her misery, saying things like, I don't even know why I had you. So of course, with my mom yelling for me to help her, I jumped to the opportunity to show her I am worthy. I am here for a reason. And I wanted her to see it. So at such a young age and as afraid as I was, I would jump on these men's backs. I'd claw at their faces. I'd throw my little fist as hard as I could, trying my all to save my mom. Throughout all these up and down relationships my mom had, 
Fortunately, by this time, my father finally found his sobriety in life. So ironically, my father now became our shelter in the storm of our mom's life. Being sober and for the most part having stability in his life, he gave me and my sister freedom and breathed life into our little lungs, just like he once did for our mother. Our father brings so much joy to our lives. He gave us so much love. He made us feel safe and valued. And he made us feel wanted until he couldn't anymore. After three years of being sober and being a wonderful father to Lydia and I and creating great memories, and then he was also a good friend to my mom, after three years he found out that he had full-blown AIDS. And then three years later, we lost our father. He was gone, and so was a part of us with him. Luckily, my mom finally did meet a man who had the chance to meet my dad before he died. And he made a promise to my daddy that he will keep Lydia and I safe and provide a steady, loving upbringing for the remainder of our childhood. Now, let me just go back here, just explain something about my relationship with my my father and my mother. My father did become my mom's good friend. I mean, so much in fact that after he found out he had AIDS, he helped my mom in a sense to find somebody that he thought was a good match for my mom because he knew that she needed help. and She needed somebody that was steady. Um, someone that had their shit together and someone was with a good head on their shoulders. So no fo- Funny enough, my dad actually helped her with this. And, you know, the person that my mom met, um, he was in recovery, uh, you know, from alcoholism. Um, So he he knew a friend of a friend of my dad's and my mom's. And so my mom and him, his name was Joe, you know, they started dating. And, you know, he he and my dad did go for a walk, you know, um, one day, and this is when Joe had made him a promise that he would take care of us. And let me just explain this. When, when my mom was getting ready to get married to Joe in November of 1992, my dad was going to walk my mom down the aisle. So this is how close my mom and my father were and how selfless and how awesome of a person my dad was. Cause he still loved my mom, but he knew that, I mean, obviously he was gonna die. He was declining very fast. And um, he was worried about her and he was worried about his daughters. So for their wedding, unfortunately, my father was not able to walk her down the aisle because at this point he was getting really sick. He was very weak. He was in and out of a wheelchair. But my dad was a photographer, so he actually, he did the photography for my uh, my mother's wedding. You know, there was, I mean, it was even at a point where he would go to stand up from the wheelchair and people would have to kind of support him from his back because he was that weak. So as far as the relationship with my mom and Joe, um, this relationship was actually the most level I've ever seen my mom. Joe gave us a good life as best as he knew how to. 
For the first time in our lives, we lived in a home that belonged to my mom and to Joe. We were stable in school, actually had the opportunity to make keep friends and grow with friends. And we were able to make connections, not like we did before when we were moving every year. My mom, she was happy until she wasn't, as life goes. Joe eventually left my mom for another woman, and my mom was crushed. I mean, I still believe that this was a straw that broke the camel's back. But no, I don't blame Joe entirely. My mom was always unhappy, and she had many issues that she never addressed from her childhood. I believe she depended on Joe to save her, and when he left her, she completely broke. One thing I can say about my mom, though, crazy out of her mind, she was tough, always tough in a sense that she was a fighter in life. She always was a hard worker and she managed to make things work. She always paid her bills, would work two to three jobs, always took care of her home and her appearance. She just never really fully took care of her mental health. Whether she was in denial or not patient enough for the process of therapy to take effect, she never gave it a fair chance. It was easier just to blame everyone and everything that ever done her wrong as her reason as to why she is the way that she is. As time passed, I saw how she would lose friends and other relationships. And I truly think because of her obsessive thought process of blaming Joe, especially Joe, for ruining the one true happiness she thought she finally had. My sister lost the patience in dealing with her mom. And because of my self-healing and self-light work, I had more patience with my mom. I would always see the hurt little girl inside her and I did my best to be a friend and give her emotional support when I could until her antics started affecting my children. So that's when I worked hard to draw the line. I had to teach my kids how to communicate with their grandmother and I explained to them that her skewed outlook on life had nothing to do with them. Yeah, there were even times when I went a year or two without talking to my mom, kind of like a reset button, if you will. She would be great. She'd be wonderful. I would always have hopes that she would one day have an epiphany and we could get our mother and daughter relationship back. But unfortunately, that never came. And as stress came in, in and out of her life, the more she retreated into her mind and the more delusional on life she became. And the more abusive she became to me, mostly mental though. I mean, there was one time that we got physical and that's definitely not a proud day in my life. It took me many years, like about a year ago to realize that she, this was, and she was never going to get better. So no amount of love, patience, advice, talking I did would ever help her see the light. She was a common denominator in her life's anguish and hurt. Up until a year ago, I freed myself from all of it. I learned to just accept that this is who my mom is and who she chooses to be. And I can only save myself. So here I am, and instead of being super sad about it, I just have to use it as a lesson. You know, a lesson to take responsibility for my mental health, to fix my hurt, despite who hurt me. At the end of the day, I learned that it's up to me to fix me. And I've learned to teach this fact of life to my children as well. And I never forgot how it felt as a little girl, the feeling of being scared and not loved, hurt, not being heard. And I took that and I made it a lesson on how to be a mother to my children and put them first and to show them how I take accountability for my life and how when I make my mistakes, I fix them and I'm in control of me and I am in control of my destiny. 
So I guess saying all of this, I can thank my mom after all, because through her life, I learned a lot about my life and the power that is actually within my hands. This is my life. I am free from all that has once held me down. That hurt that came is now my stepping stone towards getting the life that I want. And as far as my mom, I do love her. That will never go away. But I will love her from afar and pray that her soul eventually will find peace. Maybe one day she will see. Maybe one day she will never. I don't know. But I see and so do my children. And for that, I am grateful.